Thank you. Well, today we have Dan and uh, Joe with us. And Dan, yes, whilst he ha- happens to be um, Ellie's father, but they both were in the church uh, when they were students. Going back how many years? 30 years. Mm-hmm. And I can remember on those Sunday nights, uh, occasionally I would give, give uh, some opportunity uh, who I thought were going to become preachers and they had the gift of preaching. And I would sit at the back and I would take notes. And then afterwards they had to sit with me and I would just go over their whole sermon. I, I did say to Don on Friday night, I do have paper and pen with me today. But let's put our hands together as we welcome Don. God bless you. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Really lovely to be with you all this morning. So, yeah, it was uh, 1993. We came to this church as uh, students. And, uh, yeah, Joe and I came. We uh, married in this church a few years later, which was fantastic. Keith and Barbie were our home group leaders. That was exciting. Uh, they went to Bible college, and then we went a year later. Uh, and there was another couple called Steve and Debbie Gunn. They went a year later again after us. So it was a real uh, amazing time of uh, people just being sent off, which was great. And uh, yeah, it's uh, lovely to kind of renew connections with you again through Ellie uh, working here. So if you don't know me at all, we have three daughters. Ellie's our eldest. She's the youth and pastor. What are you? What are you? Youth and student pastor here. <laughs> She does something anyway. Um, and then we've got our youngest with us, who's B, who's uh, in year 11. And then we have uh, one in between who is at university in Cardiff uh, and uh, is far too busy with a social life to be here with us this weekend. So, but it's really lovely to be with you all and just uh, to renew fellowship and friendship. Friday night was fantastic. It was lovely to celebrate uh, Billy's ministry. And just uh, to hear people expressing their love for him. Uh, and I think all of us in the room could have echoed everything that was said. Uh, it was a real blessing. And he's been such a blessing to us. Release me into my first ever chance of preaching, as he said. And uh, leading a home group and all that kind of stuff. And that was fantastic. And uh, um, I just, uh, I've always considered Billy my pastor. Um, and uh, I think that will always be the case, even as you retire as well. But also... We look forward to Keith and Barbie stepping into this role, don't we? And all that's going to happen and what God is going to do in them and through them and in you guys as a church over these coming years. So uh, I don't know about you, but I feel really excited about all nations and about what's going to happen over the coming years. Do you feel excited? That's good. Because I think God's going to bless you as a church and use you and work through you. And uh, you're in such safe hands. I remember thinking when Billy was kind of talking about uh, retiring, I was here maybe two or three years ago and I I preached one Sunday morning and there was like 30 of us in the room because it was COVID. You remember that weird, all the chairs separate from each other and uh, Ben and I chatted and he was just saying, well, retirement's coming up and everything. And I remember thinking, well, who could follow Billy after 39 years of ministry in the church? Well, when I heard that Keith and Barbie were stepping into that role, I just thought, well, that's who, obviously. I mean, no one else could love the church like these guys will love the church and lead you forward. So I just want to, you don't need me to commend them to you because you know them, but I want to do it anyway. I commend them to you because they're good people. 
Was that enough keys, do you think? Yeah. Uh, okay. That's good. <laughs> Great stuff. So, um, real uh, privilege to be able to share God's word with you this morning. A couple of uh, years ago in my church in Penzance, if you don't know, sorry, I didn't mention we live in Penzance in West Cornwall, planted a church there about 13 years ago, and it's still there, which is amazing. Um, well, I hope it is this morning anyway. But I preached there a couple of years ago through the book of Revelation. And uh, if you don't know Revelation, it's fantastic. I love the book of Revelation. It's full of weird things. There's like beasts and there are dragons and there's like all sorts of weird diseases kicking off and all that kind of stuff. Jesus is there. He's got a, a sword that comes out of his mouth and he's got a tattoo on his thigh. It says, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That is not youth that are in here this morning. An excuse to get a tattoo just because Jesus has one in Revelation. His is different. And uh, as I was kind of preparing and thinking about what to share with you this morning, I was drawn back to a chapter in Revelation, and to Revelation chapter 5, that I just want to share some thoughts from with you this morning. Um, Revelation is like a kind of, it's like a series of acts in a play. And uh, each time the curtains are drawn back and we're given a glimpse to a scene and that might last for two or three or four chapters and then the curtains close again and uh, there's a, they open again onto another scene. And uh, so where we're going to come to today is uh, the curtain has opened, if you like, in chapter four. And the scene that we see in front of us is the throne room of heaven. And uh, in this kind of scene, we're introduced to all the, in chapter four, all the extras, all the kind of secondary characters, the sort of supporting actors. And then now in chapter five, we are going to come and we're going to meet the lead actor, who is Jesus. That was a bit quiet. I was expecting you to guess that the lead actor was Jesus, but it is Jesus. So uh, we're going to read together, um, and uh, it'll be on screen, you can see it. Revelation chapter 5, here we go. So then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll. The scroll, by the way, is God's plan of history for all, for salvation. It's it's, his plan of salvation for all history. That's what the scroll is. Uh, With writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He's able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he'd taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. That was a lot of thousands. 
They encircled the throne of the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Amen. So just before I kind of jump into this, just need to say, Revelation is full of symbolism. There are so many symbols in it. So when you hear various numbers or you read about all sorts of weird things, usually that is symbolizing something else. So we're going to just try and work out a little bit about what's going on in here. And there are three things that I want us to see this morning from this passage That's not a symbolic number. There are literally three things I want you to see from it this morning. And it's these. Prayer, power, praise. Prayer, power, praise. I don't know if anybody remembers back in the 90s, Billy used to run a meeting on a Tuesday night, I think it was, called Prayer, Power, Praise. Do you remember doing that? Anybody remember going to Prayer, Power, Praise meetings? There was a few. I mean, when Billy announced it, it was hard to differentiate between the three words. I've got to be honest, it was only when I saw it written down that I realised what I was going to. Uh, prayer, power, prayers. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, they were good. They were really good. So uh, I just want to go through these three things and just uh, see what we can learn from this passage. Okay, first up is uh, prayer. And what I want to say from this is that our prayers on earth always make a difference in heaven. They always make a difference in heaven. Look at the scene in front of us. Verse 8. You've got the 24 elders. And uh, they've got these bowls of uh, incense. And these, these um, elders, I think they symbolize God's people through all history. Uh, there's 24 of them. So that's like the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 disciples together, the 24, all of God's people, Old and New Testament. And each one's got this bowl of incense. And John tells us what the incense means. The bowls of incense are the prayers of God's people. They are the prayers of God's people. Now the thing about incense is that it makes a beautiful smell, doesn't it? That's what incense is all about. I've got to be honest, I'm not a big fan of incense. Is anybody with me on the... I'm not a big fan of it. Now that might be because in Penzance we have got a load of really weird, dodgy, new age shops that stink of incense when you go in there because they're trying to cover up the smell of drugs that's going on back. I don't know whether you have those things in Reading as well, but let's just push that image out of our minds and just imagine incense as a kind of beautiful smell because in the Bible times, wasn't a lot of deodorant, there wasn't a lot of soap, so incense was a good thing because it covered over a multitude of sins. It was definitely an improvement. And what's being portrayed here is that the prayers of God's people are like incense to God himself. They create a beautiful aroma, a beautiful smell, something that is pleasing to him. There is something about us praying to God that pleases him. The very act of praying pleases him. And do you know what? This isn't about whether we get the answer we want. It's not about how much faith we have. It's not about whether we're good at praying. It's quite simply the very act of praying pleases God. It's like incense to him. Now, this bowl of incense pops up again somewhere else in Revelation. I want to just read it to you from chapter 
8, chapter 8 and verse 3, it says another angel who had a golden censer, that's a bowl basically, a bowl that you burn it in, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunders, rumblings, flashes of lightning and an earthquake. I don't know if you just saw that in verse 3. The prayers of all God's people. This bowl of incense that is in heaven, symbolized for us there, contains the prayers of all God's people. I want you to hear that this morning. Because that pleasing aroma to the Lord today is not just coming from people who are good at praying. It's not just coming from the intercessors. It's not just coming from those who can kind of whip up a storm when they pray. I remember a few years ago... um, a new pastor being inducted in our church in Exeter, a guy called Mark Pugh. I don't know, has Mark ever preached here? Anybody know Mark? And uh, he was being inducted, and uh, full room is like huge church, and they called all the Elam pastors up onto the stage, or trudged up onto the stage, and then the regional leader said, right, uh, I just want two of you to pray for Mark. Uh, first of all, a guy called Nigel Tween. Now, Nigel is a uh, he used to be the director of training for Elam, pastor some huge churches. And, uh, and then the guy said, and then after Nigel, Dan, can you pray? So Nigel starts praying, and Nigel's prayer is amazing. Like, it is absolutely, it's a stunning prayer. People are cheering, they're clapping, they're up on their seats, they're like whooping. It's like, like heaven has hit earth. You know those kind of prayers? Have you got someone here that prays like this? probably have you just don't want to say who it is like it was just an amazing prayer and it went on and on and on it was just absolutely incredible he prayed for everything you could imagine revival was hit, hitting as we were there in the room it was just awesome and then he gets to the end of his prayer and he says amen and then I just think rubbish <laughs> dear Jesus thank you for today thank you that we can be here and my my prayer just felt absolutely rubbish compared to Nigel's awesome prayer. But what I want us to see from this passage is that the prayers of all God's people are in this bowl of incense, this aroma that is pleasing to God. So Nigel's awesome prayer is in there. My absolutely rubbish prayer is in there as well. And I don't know about you, what you think about your prayers. You might be good at praying. You might just think, I am absolutely rubbish at praying. Well, whether you think you're good or bad, whether you're eloquent or not eloquent, whether you can find the words or not find the words, whether you are full of faith or full of doubt, actually, all of your prayers, because we are all God's people, are in that bowl of incense and they are pleasing to God. And then... As if that's not enough, all of those prayers are gathered up in the bowl. They're all gathered together. And it says that symbolically, when the bowl is full, when God says so, he will throw it like fire on the earth. In other words, when God decides that enough prayers have been prayed, the bowl is full, he will bring about the end of time. He will bring about the consummation of time, as it's called. I love this quote from... um, 
John Piper, he's a, he's a retired American pastor. Some of you may have heard some of his stuff. Uh, he writes really well. He says, the utterly astonishing thing about this text is that it portrays the prayers of the saints as the instrument God uses to usher in the end of the world with great divine judgments. It pictures the prayers of the saints accumulating on the altar before the throne of God until the appointed time, when they are taken up like fire from the altar and thrown upon the earth to bring about the consummation or the end of God's kingdom on earth. In other words, what we have in this text is an explanation of what has happened to the millions upon millions of prayers over the last 2,000 years. As the saints have cried out again and again, thy kingdom come, thy kingdom come, Not one of these prayers prayed in faith has been ignored. Not one is lost or forgotten. Not one has been effectual or pointless. They have all been gathering on the altar before the throne of God. Not one God-exalting prayer has ever been in vain. I love that. Every single prayer that you have prayed, every single prayer that I have prayed, has been placed in that bowl in heaven, accumulating as a pleasing aroma to God himself and leading us somehow towards the day when he will bring about the end of all things. Those tear-filled prayers that you've prayed and that I've prayed, those ones that don't seem to have been answered, all of those never wasted. Not one word has been wasted. Nearly four years ago, a really good friend of mine died very suddenly. Some of these guys will know uh, Pastor Dave Ailing. And uh, he preached on a Sunday morning, came home, had a cardiac arrest straight at lunchtime, and uh, he was put on a life support machine for four days. And for those four days, we prayed and we fasted. And people all around the world prayed and fasted. And we interceded for him. We prayed the best prayers we could possibly pray. We did everything we could. We felt led by God to pray in certain ways. We felt God say certain things. And it was just this time of like trusting God and praying and praying and praying. And then on the fourth day, he died. And I can come away from that thinking, what was that all about? Even the last week or few weeks, Joe and I have been praying for some things that again we're just not seeing the answers to. Asking God to just step in and change a situation and he hasn't. And sometimes in the midst of all that you can just think, what is going on here Lord? What's this all about? Are we wasting our time praying for things that don't happen? Was that just a waste of time? No. This passage says every single word of every single prayer, every single groan, because you can't even find the word to pray, has been placed in that bowl, and it is pleasing to God. It's an aroma to him, and somehow, and I can't get my head around this, our prayers are helping to usher in the end of time, because they are filling that bowl up until one day he will say that's the end. Our prayers have a significance that we don't always understand we don't get it so it's not surprising when jesus says in luke 18 we should always pray and not give up always pray and not give up even if you're not getting the answer even if you're not feeling his presence even if you're not seeing what you want to see keep praying church 
keep going. Keep praying because it blesses God. It's an aroma to him. It's precious to him. As you sacrifice in prayer, he is pleased with what you and I are doing. And somehow, in a way, I cannot get my head around. He is bringing us towards the end of time. You know what? Our prayers are doing so much more than we think they are doing. So keep praying. Keep praying. Second thing I want to say to us today is not just about prayer, but it's power. Power. You all still there? Good. So for God, lion-sized victories might look like a lamb. So we just talked about prayer, now we talk about power. For God, lion-sized victories might look like a lamb. Verse 5 and 6, we have a description of Jesus as the lion and the lamb. We know that phrase really well, don't we? We've sung it this morning in How Great Is Our God. Do you remember singing that? The lion and the lamb, the lion and the lamb. Yep, you might have sang it just as well as that, maybe. Um, Or... uh, you know, we, we know the other ones, don't we? Like, there's all sorts of songs about um, the lion and the lamb, don't we? Our God is the lion. You know that one? The lion of Judah, yep. And then the second one, our God is the lamb, the lamb, yep. You know what I'm doing, don't you? A little, little bonus for you there. Um, anyway, this is the main passage where that phrase comes from, the lion and the lamb. It's, it is in other places in the Bible, but this is the main bit where it comes from. I want you to notice something, though. Verse 5 of this passage, John He's crying, he's having a little cry because he can't see anyone who's worthy to open the scroll. And uh, then one of the elders comes and speaks to him and says, don't weep, don't cry. See the lion of the tribe of Judah. So this elder comes to him and speaks to him. And so he hears this voice, look, look for the lion of the tribe of Judah. But in verse 6, when he actually looks, what does he see? Then I saw a lamb. So the voice comes and says, look for the lion. But when he looks, what he sees is a lamb, not a lion. He's heard this victorious declaration about who Jesus is, the lion of the tribe of Judah. But the lion looks like a lamb who was slain. And so what we see here is suddenly these two images are like fused together for all time. The lion and the lamb together. The victory of God is accomplished through the sacrifice of the Lamb. The sacrifice of the Lamb is itself God's victory. It's an amazing thing. And so the Lion and the Lamb become inseparable. And, and in Jesus, what we see is like strength and power, like you've never known before. But we also see vulnerability and humility like you've never seen before. This lion and the lamb. And that's how God's plan works. It works like that on a big scale. Salvation. So God, who is all-powerful, becomes a man who is vulnerable, who dies on a cross which is vulnerable, so that he might achieve salvation which is powerful, and then he's placed in a grave which is vulnerable, and then he's raised from the dead which is powerful, and one day he will return which is powerful. So we've got this kind of powerful, vulnerable thing going on, this humility and power all the way at the same time and you see if that is how God works in the big picture that I want to say to us today that is how God works in the small pictures of our lives as well if that's how salvation works then it also works in our lives as well you know sometimes you and I are looking for God to move in power and we're expecting the lion but actually God is working through the lamb 
We're expecting him to be big and powerful and flashy. And all we can see in front of us is something that's small and vulnerable. And you know what we often do? We, we, we start sweeping the small and vulnerable out of the way. Like, where are you, God? I'm looking for you. Where's the lion? And God says all the time, hey, I'm the lamb. I'm not just the lion. I'm the lamb as well. You see, God is often most powerful in your life when things seem the most vulnerable. When things seem the smallest, when things seem the most humble, when it looks like it's all going a bit wrong, but actually, God is at work. He's a lamb. Let me encourage all of us today, don't be so fixated with the big power moments that we want God to do, that we miss those smaller, vulnerable, humble things that he does in our lives all the time. Maybe as a church, you want to see some lion-sized victories. We want those, don't we? We want to see Reading transformed for Christ. We want to see thousands saved. We want to see all sorts of things happen. And so we're looking for the lion-sized victories. But you know what God is often doing? He's working through lamb-sized situations. We want to see thousands saved. But what about this one person who saved in front of us? We want to see the young people of our city transformed or your town transformed. Well, what are you doing in our own children's lives? You know, so often we're looking for the lion and actually he's the lamb. His power is so different to what we expect. Let me encourage you with that today. So, prayers. Our prayers are never wasted. Prayers on earth are never wasted in heaven. Power. Lion-like victories might look like a lamb. And then the last thing I just want to talk about is praise. Praise. The one who sits on the throne and the lamb are always worthy of our praise. Always. You know, this chapter shows you something that you see across the whole of Revelation, which is a a defining feature of heaven is worship. I mean, like, it's obvious, isn't it? And I think, well, of course we know that. But I think it's always worth reminding us on that because we don't always get it. Because whether, whether it's angels in heaven or whether it's people or it's creation or all sorts of other weird things going on, whatever it might be, you're never more than a verse or two away from someone just bursting out in praise. You know, praise and glory and honor to the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. To him who sits on the throne be all those things. Salvation belongs to our God. Every few verses, somebody just erupts in praise and worship of God. And you know, the more I look at the book of Revelation, the more I think we don't worship enough. We don't worship enough. Like, I don't anyway. I mean, I I can only speak for myself. You might live a life of worship in a different way, but I'm speaking for myself. There are very few moments in the week where I intentionally worship God now I I know I know that all of our lives are worship all right I get that all of our lives are worship everything is worship but revelation shows us there is something special about the deliberate intentional singing of praise and worship to our God there's something really special about it you know what because that is what's happening in heaven right now right at this moment They are deliberately, intentionally singing praise and speaking out praise to God right now. 
That's what's going on there. You see, I kind of just want to say that they're not worshipping God through barista-style coffee. Like, and there's nothing wrong with worshipping God in a coffee shop. Like, we, do, we, do, we worship everywhere we go. But in heaven right now, and for all eternity, the praises of God will be sung and spoken. They will be singing songs that declare who he is, what he's done, just the awesome greatness of him. That's what's going on in heaven right now. And we get to join in with that on earth as well. You know, so often we do look for what we can get out of worship. What can I get? You know, we think about Paul and Silas, don't we, in the prison? Like, what they got was to be broken out of prison. So we think, I'm going to worship because I might get out of the situation I'm in. Can I say that getting out of a situation is a bonus of worship? It's not the purpose of worship. need to always remember that. And we think about, okay, like, I'm going to feel good at the end of this worship time. Well, feeling good at the end of a worship time is a bonus. It's not the reason that we worship. We've got to remind ourselves of all of these things. We worship because God is worthy of worship. We worship because God is amazing. Because he's huge. He's the lion and the lamb. We worship him because he's saved us. We worship him because he's the creator of the universe and the sustainer. We worship him because he is our redeemer. We worship him because of all of these reasons. And what I am particularly struck with as I look at Revelation is that every time we see them worshipping, they are worshipping together. So it's always a corporate thing. Now, nothing wrong with individual worship. We should be doing it always. But I want to say that God's plan for eternity would seem to be that we as God's people will worship together. You might be looking around and thinking, really? Eternity? Eternity? Does it have to be that long? But actually, it's going to be great. We're going to be all together with God's people worshipping deliberately, intentionally. And so, if that's God's perfect plan for eternity, that's what we're going to be doing in eternity. Do you know what? We have an awesome privilege, which is to start doing that right now. The loudest amens are coming from the two worship leaders down here. That's all I'm going to say. We get the privilege to start doing it now. That actually whenever and wherever we can gather to worship is what we should be doing. Now obviously we can't do it all the time because we have to go to work, don't we? We have to go to school or we have to go to college. We have to look after children and we're ill, we're Ill and some people can't get out to, to the gathered church. And I'm not trying to make people feel bad who can't get out. But I'm just talking generally for most of us for most of the time. is Somehow gathered worship has reduced in our lives, isn't it? reduced in our programs we come together less often than we used to we think of gathered worship as a little bit you know old-fashioned like it's not all about Sundays well it's not all about Sundays but it is all about Sundays as well gathered worship is so important like I grew up in church great privilege of growing up in church and uh, I guess probably quite a few of you here might have as well and so I remember growing up we went to church four times on a Sunday Anybody else remember that? Anybody beat four times? <laughs> like we'd have a Sunday morning service, and then we'd go home, stuff your lunch down quickly, back out for Sunday afternoon Bible class. You'd go back home, stuff your tea down quickly, go back for an evening service. After the evening service, you'd go for an after-church fellowship meeting at someone's house. And eventually, you'd roll back home at about nine, ten o'clock at night, absolutely exhausted from the day. But do you know what we'd done? Is we'd worshipped. 
we'd worship together regularly. Now, I appreciate that coming to church four times on a Sunday is that's not what I'm suggesting we have to go back to. Oh, I said Keith, yes. It wasn't always the best for family life. It wasn't always great for having a kind of Sabbath rest, was it? It was exhausting. Um, I'm not saying that's what we need to get back to, but I do want to say gently, with all love, to encourage us that wherever and whenever we can gather with other Christians to worship, we should do it. We should be there, singing our praise, speaking it out every time that we can, whether it's a Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Sunday afternoon, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, whether it's a social time or a less social time, it's formal or informal, wherever it might be, let's gather with other Christians and intentionally worship him. Church has become a little bit, I'll just pop in once every two weeks, once every three weeks, once a month. You know what? Guys, let's worship together as much as we can, as often as we can. Let's be together. You will be blessed. You always are. Do you know what? I have never, so I'm, oh my life, I'm 50 in two weeks today. It just suddenly hit me there. Um, so I'm 50 in two weeks today. I've brought up in church. I have been to a lot of meetings over my lifetime. Do you know what? I have never once been to a gathered church meeting and worshipped and regretted it. I've never once at the end of the evening thought, I wish I hadn't bothered coming out this evening. Every time you come and gather with God's people and worship him, I think you get blessed. You may not always sing the songs you like. It may not always sound what you like. It may be too long or too short or too hot or too cold. The coffee might be rubbish. There might be all sorts of other things going on. Strip all that away. They're all the extra bits. I have never been with other Christians and worshipped and regretted it. Let me encourage you to do that. Worship God because he deserves it. Worship God because he will change your perspective on the things going on around you. Worship God because it will improve your mental health. Do you know what? Thousands of years before a university spent a lot of money saying that corporate singing is good for your mental health, God said, get together and sing. He was well ahead of the time. And you so when we get together and worship and we sing, it's good for us, but we do it because he deserves it. This is God's perfect plan for eternity. And this is one of the few bits of that plan that we get to engage with today. Let's do it. Let's not hold back. So you know what? Right now, if we were to draw back that curtain of heaven if we were to be given a glimpse into heaven just to see what is going on right at this moment on the 21st of January 2024 they don't have dates in heaven but let you know let's imagine it was that date in heaven we would see some things we would see that our prayers are creating a beautiful and precious aroma to God himself. He is pleased when we pray. So we keep praying because it pleases him. And we would see those prayers mounting up in that bowl as they all go into that great big bowl of incense. We'd see them going in with God just looking at the level before he will one day get to the moment and just say, okay, that's the end of that. 
Jesus goes back. One day it will come to an end. We would also see Jesus at the center of that throne room. This lion but also this lamb achieved this great lion-sized victory for us and yet he is the lamb that was slain and we would be reminded that he keeps doing that in our lives all the time. He brings about victories in the most remarkable and humble ways that we never expect. And we would see in that throne room all of creation worshipping him, singing bowing down, speaking it out, declaring the praises of who God is together. And it would remind us that we get to taste a little bit of heaven when we worship together. Do you know what? As we were singing this morning, it it felt like that to me. Just that little taste of heaven as we gathered together. And when you come as a visitor, it's really great as well. Because it's like a load of you in this room I don't know. Most of you I don't know in this room. But we're brothers and sisters, and we come together, and we just worship. And you go anywhere in the world, and it's like that. I love it. That actually, we are God's people, and we worship together, and we get to do it now, because we will get to do it in heaven forever. So prayer, power, praise. 30 years ago, Billy was challenging St. Saviour's Christian Center to do that. And 30 years later... I want to say he was right to do it then, and I think it's right that we do it now, that we keep doing those things now. We keep praying, we keep seeking his power, and we keep praising him. On a weekend when we celebrated Billy's ministry and uh, his kind of retirement, it's the sort of, uh, it's the longest retirement, isn't it? You know, just working up towards it as he, as he gets towards it. I think it's good to remind ourselves That's what this man has been doing for the last 39 years. It's what we should keep doing for however long God gives us for the rest of our ministries or lives until one day we get to meet with our Lord in heaven. So let's keep going, church. Let's keep praying. Let's keep seeking his power. Let's keep praising him. And let's see what he'll do. Amen. Can I, uh, can I pray for you? I've already told you I'm not very good at praying. Lord, we just want to thank you for uh, the glimpse of your throne room that you gave the Apostle John in Revelation. And Father, I pray that we may allow your word to change us and to shape us. Father, I pray for any of my brothers and sisters here today who have been praying for things, perhaps have not seen the answers or are just struggling to keep going. And I pray, Lord, you would encourage them that their prayers are pleasing to you. They are in themselves an act of worship to you. Lord, will you draw alongside those? Father, I pray for each of us as we look to see you work in our lives and in our situations and we so often looking for the, the lion moments, and yet, Lord, you're working in those lamb-sized moments. And I pray, Lord, that we would never miss you at work, but that we would see that you are the God who works in incredible ways, but through such small things so often. Lord, give us eyes that would see that. And may we be a people of praise, Lord.
Help us, inspire us, encourage us. When we're tired, Lord, when we feel like we can't be bothered, I pray that you would just challenge us and remind us of who you are. You are the lion and the lamb. You are the one who's worthy of our praise. Lord, may we lift your name up whenever and wherever we can, in song and in word, deliberately, intentionally worshipping you. So, Lord, we just pray for your blessing. I pray for this church as it um, has this time of just transition. I just pray for Billy. I thank you for him. Thank you for his incredible ministry in this church and in churches previously. I thank you for his ministry around the world through his missions work. Thank you, Lord, for the legacy that he has left and is still leaving. And Lord, we just pray for your blessing upon him and Amelia and the family. And Lord, we thank you for Keith and Barbie. Thank you for bringing them back to this church at just the right time. And Lord, we pray that you would bless them, bless their ministry here. Use them for your glory, we pray. And so we commit all of these things to you now. In Jesus' name. Amen.